This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. This show is hosted by John Syracuse and Dan Benjamin. That's me. Today's show is sponsored by Postmark App. Are you still sending your web app's important notification emails from the default mail server? Do you know if those emails are actually getting to the inbox? Postmark improves delivery success rates and alerts you to messages that bounce or are marked as spam. And with a setup that takes only a minute, they make it painless for you to give your system emails the first-class treatment they deserve. But don't take my word for it. Every account comes with a 1,000 free emails to get you started. Go check them out at postmarkapp.com. And by Rackspace. Rackspace would like to remind you that just because you know how to administer a server does not mean you have to. Rackspace cloud service with a managed backup service level lets you focus on the big picture while the sysadmin functions of patching, backing up, and responding to monitoring alerts are handled for you. It's like cloning yourself. Sign up before January 31st and you'll save up to 300 bucks. Check them out at rackspacecloud.com slash 5x5. So what, what's on your mind today? The topic is backups, but before we do it, you said you had other things you wanted to, com- to complain yeah, about. Yeah, I was listening to the talk show this week, as I always do, and I heard that uh, Gruber had some nice things to say about the show, which Apparently, I appreciated. Yeah. Who knew? Um, he did mention uh, one of the things that I've talked to him about is uh, the phenomenon of listening to a podcast and uh, always wanting to sort of interject uh, either to bring in your own point or to correct somebody. It's kind of like how <laughs> sports fans yell at the TV yeah. when the refs are making calls. So, <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, he mentioned that I had talked to him about that a lot, and, and he said, "Well, now that he's got his own podcast, he won't have that problem." Um, but I don't, I don't think it changes when you have your own show because I have the exact same feelings when I'm doing my show. Because there's so much I want to get to, and there's only an hour you can do it, and you kind of have to stay on topic. And once you move from one topic to another, you can't go back to it. So just because I, I'm allowed to speak on this show a lot. It uh, doesn't mean I still don't want to interrupt myself with additional points. Like, for example, yesterday, uh, yesterday's last week's show about television, I feel like I could do another two whole shows just talking about TiVo. But, of course, you know, at some point it gets out of hand. Um, the chat room kind of helps like that with that feeling of wanting to interject. Uh, right. because when I'm not on the show, occasionally I'm in the chat room. And the same thing for people who are in the chat room now. They want uh, to interrupt or add something. They're not on the show, but we can see what they write in the chat room and... Uh, Sometimes they'll, their input will influence the show. Sure. And uh, speaking of the chat room, last week uh, some people had some tips in the chat room which flew by while I was doing the show, but afterwards I scrolled back up um, and I found an interesting one. I, I should have recorded who the person was that suggested this. Maybe the chat room will know now or it might have been one of those uh, automatically named people with the Q-E-R-T whatever uh, aliases. Uh, but anyway, uh, someone pointed me to uh, an actual competitor to uh, TiVo. Um, someone, another company that makes a box that you connect to your television that a cable card goes into that lets you record television shows from your digital cable or Fios uh, television subscription. And I've look, been looking around this field for a long time, mostly sticking with TiVo, but I didn't even know this company exists. Do you know who I'm about to say? No, Do you have I, any I, idea I, this is? I don't. I don't. So this is a company called Moxie, M-O-X-I. Oh, okay, I have, heard of, I have heard of Moxie, yeah. I think I might have heard of them way back when, but not taken them seriously. But on the suggestion of this person in the chat room, I went and uh, took a look at it again. And uh, it's, it's actually an interesting solution. Um, they're, they're competing directly with TiVo, but they have kind of a different model. They, they sell you the box for much more money than TiVo does, but there's no monthly fee, which is an interesting you know, uh, attempt to compete with TiVo. Uh, it's very similar, and it's got a big hard drive in it. It's got a little CPU. It's got an interface that looks vaguely like TiVo. Um, How do you spell Moxie? M-O-X-Y? 
M-O-X-I. Oh, M-O-X-I. M-O-X-I.com. The site sometimes is slow. Uh, and so the whole reason I would even consider Moxie would be not so much to get rid of the monthly fee, but to tr- see if another box is, has a UI that's not quite so slow and doesn't have all the annoying limitations that TiVo has. Uh, Googling around the web, it seems like Moxie is maybe a little bit faster than TiVo in terms of the UI, but it has lots of other sort of caveats that make me wary of it. The first one is the fact that I've never even heard of Moxie. I think it was some fly-by-night company. If I buy this thing, is the company go out of business? But the company's actually been in business since 1999, just one year after TiVo. So whether they're being, I guess you wouldn't call them successful because, you know, we've never even heard of them, but, and TiVo is usually not considered successful, but I would say they are not fly-by-night at this point. Um, The other things is that you buy this box for like $600 or whatever, which is a lot of money with no monthly fee, but the most you can get is a one-year warranty on it. Uh, TiVo is kind of like that too. If you don't buy the extended warranty, you know, I I had the fan go bad on my TiVo recently, Um, and if it wasn't just the fan, if it was like the motherboard, I would be stuck. I'd have to buy a whole new TiVo because I just have the one-year warranty. And it's one of those crappy one-year warranties where it's one year, but it's only 90 days, parts and labor, and then after that, you just get parts. Mm. And the labor is always like 150 bucks, and so if anything goes wrong, you might as well just buy yourself a new uh, device. So that bothers me, because if they're going to go with the business model where you don't have a monthly fee, they really should sell some sort of extended warranty so that you can recoup the money for this box. Because You, know, to, to, you can have a box for $300 and pay $12 a month, and, or you can buy a box for 600 bucks, but that $600 box better last you at least like a year or two to uh, make up for its initial high purchase price. And it has a bunch of other annoying limitations, like there's no Wi-Fi. Uh, so if you have, uh, they have this box for doing multi-room viewing where you can see stuff on your DVR from another room without having to pay for another cable box, which again is nice. But with no wireless, that means you have to have Ethernet running to all the rooms where you have television. And that's uh, very difficult uh, yeah. in most people's houses. In my house, the same thing. On my upstairs TV does not have Ethernet running to it, and I use Wi-Fi to get to it. Um, and the other thing that Moxie, thing, uh, Moxie Box has is uh, you can do triple tuning. So you can record three shows at once and then watch a pre-recorded fourth. Right. I one. noticed up here it says three-tuner HD. But I'm assuming that, that, that you would definitely need more uh, cable cards for that. No, just one multi-stream card. One Apparently card can do can three. Do three. Yeah, because they, it's called a multi-stream card, not a dual-stream card. So I guess a single multi-stream card can do you know, multiple streams. I don't think there's an arbitrary limit. Maybe it just has to do with how many decoder chips are in the box itself. Uh, but apparently, you know, this box only has one place to stick in a card, as far as I can tell from looking at the manual, and they just want a multi-stream card. So I'm, I'm intrigued by it. I really don't want to buy a TiVo Premiere ever because I've used ones at my friend's house, and they are as slow as everyone says they are, and it just, the UI is not nice and filled with annoying ads. And, and you, wanted, you wanted to point out that what I have, you wanted to, I guess, be critical of, of me, which is allowed on this show. You wanted to point out I don't have a Series 3. Yeah, that's an example of people wanting to interject, uh, although they might not know the reality of the situation. But last time you said you had a Series 3 and I took you at your word, but you don't actually have a I Series 3. I don't, no. I, it, it, it says Series 3 on, on the box, but it turns out that it's not. It's something else because the Series 3 has all kinds of lights and buttons on the front of it, and it says that all, all kinds of things. And mine's just got a red, one or two red dots when it's recording. It's a, a Does it actually down. say the word Series 3? On, on, on the box it did, but I, I think it, 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 that's... On the a, cardboard box, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But on, yeah. On, the, on the larger print on the cardboard box, if I remember correctly, this is all from memory, and you know, you know as well as I do that once you have kids, there's 
you don't have as much memory <laughs> as you used to blame left. Kids, right? Yeah, I blame I blame him, but I love them. I love my kid, but I blame my you know, I you can blame all kinds of stuff on being a parent. It's not blaming the kid, it's blaming parenthood. Uh, but I, I know that I know that it, it, it is probably something more like a TiVo HD. Yeah. Is so that the name of it? It's not so, the brand new ones. It's not these Premiere and XD right. and all that stuff. It was it's like whatever Costco was selling. So the way TiVos are broadly categorized is series one, series two, series three, and premiere. And lumped into the series three category, I believe, is the one that you have. But yeah. in terms of product name, there is the Series Three, which is this gray thing that Gruber has, which originally cost eight hundred bucks and has tons of has a, a an OLED readout on the front with words on it that it will tell you what it's recording and stuff like that. That's the easy way to spot an actual Series Three. Yeah, um, and many people say that that's the was the, the fanciest uh, TiVo device ever made, and then they sort of uh, decontented it and made it cheaper, and they called it TiVo HD. And there's TiVo HD and TiVo HD XL, which just vary in the size of the hard drive. And they look like the ones that both of us have. They're black on the front. They have a black stripe. They right. have a, a red light for two red lights for recording. If you if you have two tuners and a green light and right. a blue light for when things are transferring, but no words really except for no. The, the only the for, only way you can force words to be on it are are these completely useless words. By the way, that that will tell you the same thing all the time in an obnoxious brightly orange color, which is either that it's you know, in, in 1080i or not. Yeah. And that's about it. So yeah, this is the sim- similar to the one you have, this one? Yeah, I have the TiVo HD XL, which is the same one as yours. It may or may not have a different size hard drive. I don't know if you have the XL. I don't think it's an XL, but I, 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 I got uh, an external hard drive uh, for it. Yeah, that's the other thing about the Moxie. It's the internal storage is not as big as a, as a TiVo HD XL. If you want it to get bigger, you do have to buy an external uh, hard drive, and that always bothers me because I'm on the lookout for noise. So I want the least noise possible. And when the hard drive is inside the box, it makes less noise than an external one. Asus three eighty nine in the chat room says Series three have orange LED dis- uh, LED display and THX certification, and have a piano black remote. That's also true, but my TiVo HD XL also has the piano black remote and is also THX certified. Um, the, the big difference in the internals is that they, they went with smaller, cheaper chips. Uh, the TiVo HD can take a multi-stream card, where I believe the Series 3 has to take two single-stream cards, which gets back to Gruber's long yeah. struggle to try to get two working single-stream yeah, uh, cable cards. The, the, the reason, by the way, that they probably had such much, so many issues with that is because I'm assuming... Most cable companies now are completely multi-stream. I know, for instance, Fios is all multi-stream cards. And if you want single-stream cards, they're probably digging into the bin of the cards that have been around the block a few times. <laughs> and right. they probably don't even make single-stream cards anymore, you know, so they're just going through their old inventory. Um, yeah, so that, that's the Moxie. Maybe next time I need to buy a box for a television, I'll look back at them to see if they're still in business and see if they've come up with something better. I am intrigued by the idea that they will actually update their software and improve it, and also that their software is in HD. Uh, even on the new, very newest TiVo, if you go maybe one or two menus deep, you, you go back to the old standard def UI where everything's stretched and things that should be circle or oval shaped and all sorts of horrible hmm. things. So it would be nice to uh, have a box where the company actually sends software updates and cares about the software um, and doesn't have a monthly fee. So we'll see. Doesn't sound like you've given them hope in in that regard. Well, I was excited to find out about this Moxie thing. This is you know this is actually we do a whole show about the the value of listener feedback and and stuff like that because it's been talked about a lot. On uh, Gruber's talked about it on his site. Marco's talked about it on the podcast, uh, and I have a lot to say about it too. But this is just one small example of uh, feedback 
I wouldn't have known about this had I not been looking at the chat room. In it. And for example, had I not gone back through the chat room to see what people were saying after the show, because you can't look at every line in the chat room during the show. No. Uh, it you know, drives your concentration off. But afterwards, I scroll back because there are gems in there, like, this, you know, in all that dross of people, you know, making noise or whatever, of which I uh, are participant, a participant in other shows. But um, it's nice to, uh, you know, crowdsourcing is, is valuable. So I'm glad to find out about Moxie, and I will definitely bookmark them and keep them on my list of companies to watch. Well, so, so I, absolutely. And what you said about the chat room, I think, is, is really important. But I, I, I wanted to just say thanks because this show has been it skyrocketed to stardom, superstardom in, in, in the iTunes um, store. In the, in the podcast. So if you go to iTunes, most of you guys probably subscribe through iTunes anyway, but if you go to, to iTunes and you click podcasts, we were, we were up there. I mean, really like, what were we like the number, what was it? Number six for, for a while or something. And then we were new and noteworthy and all this. And you know why people, Apple will never reveal the algorithms that they use, how they actually compute, which shows, I mean, I, I, my belief is that new and noteworthy and things like that are actually those are picked by a human being. But as far as the the rankings of shows, whether they're number one, number three, number five, whatever, and how they appear, that's actually based on what you guys, the listeners, are doing. In other words, you guys are subscribing and rating it, and that's why it it's tracking highly. So, well, well we, that's what you assume because, like, I, I that was my question to you when you it has to be that show way. Show has been doing well. I said, well, what is Apple using? And the bottom line is that. It seems like we just don't know. You can make good educated no, but it, I think I think it is due to the people. But anyway, you know what? I don't care. It, it, I think it's because of the listeners. So I'm going to say thanks to the listeners, and I credit them with that. So well, it's certainly, it's certainly due to the listeners. It's not like they're taking payments. No, but I mean, they they might be making a decision that we don't know about. But I think it's I think it's listener. Anyway, thanks everybody for for rating it and for listening and subscribing yeah. and uh, whatever you've been doing, it's been working. Yeah, keep doing it. Thank you for doing it. Uh, so that now, you know, it, it's, it's John and I, when we do the talk show, we have no list at all. We have nothing pre- prepared. And in fact, and I've said this before, John almost now sort of refuses to, to talk to me except on the show, because I think he wants it to be, to be pure in that sense. Fortunately, you don't have any, any such rule. You will allow us to speak or a chat type to each other throughout the week. And, and you have a list of topics that you've, have shared with me and you, you say to me, Dan, you need to pick a topic. And then you begin creating a secret list based off of that topic that I'm not allowed to see. Marco on build and analyze keeps everything secret. So this is sort of the, the different shades of hosting shows with, with uh, geeks like you, at least you, you share what the topic is. You let me pick the topic. And this week I picked backups. Yeah, I want you to feel like you have some uh, influence over what a we're talking bit. about on the show. Because yeah. if I just pick, you know, I, I could pick a topic too, and I can give suggestions. But sometimes, if I'm making a list of topics, my favorites may not be the ones that are actually most interesting to people. So I leave it to you to think about what's interesting to talk about in light of all your other shows that you've, uh, you know, have talked about different topics on. Right. So yeah, so yeah. But then once you pick it, uh, then I have to think about what I'm going to say. Go back through. I, I gather some links for the. Uh, the show notes afterwards, stuff like that. Yes, I'm definitely a preparer. I'm not yeah. quite sure why Gruber isn't, or maybe he just likes to pretend that he's not preparing. I don't. Well, I, I mean, we talk about all different things, but who knows? But anyway, so so you've done some preparations for this show. So what? How how do you want to approach this backups topic? So uh, 
I was thinking about that, like, what, what's my way in to talk about backups? Um, and there's just really no good way in except for me to just go right to my thesis, and then we'll work backwards from there. <laughs> right. you know, so I'll just say, this is my main point. You can stop listening to the show as soon as I get this out, if you just completely agree and know what I'm going to say, and then I'll just elaborate on it and explain where it comes from. And my thesis is basically that, oh, uh, this is Apple-centric too. Uh, why is it Apple-centric? I'm an Apple-centric kind of guy, so you could substitute some other company here. But I think Apple actually is the most relevant company uh, uh, when it comes to this thesis. And it is that Apple has spent like decades encouraging us to use computers to manage our digital stuff. Um, and, and these are things that are not just like our email and stuff like that, but things that are probably our, our, our most precious non-living possessions, which are things like our family photos, movies of our family, like our, our memories, things that would traditionally be in like a scrapbook. Right, or as an old shoebox. Or actual or photo something. albums or yeah, whatever. yeah. So they've spent decades making awesome software for this, computers, computers with cameras, computers that work with cameras, programs, the whole iLife suite, like dedicated millions and millions and millions, possibly billions of dollars, making us able to do this and encouraging us with every keynote. Hey, you know, take pictures of your family. Look at these cool movies you can make. You make movie trailers of your vacation. Put your memories on your computer. And I think, and that's been great. I do that. uh, And it's enabled people who didn't know how to use computers to be successful in doing these things. But I think... Apple now bears some pretty big responsibility for providing us with some way to keep this data safe. Right? And for years, they weren't interested in that responsibility. It was basically, please buy a Mac, please buy iLife, or it comes with your computer, upgrade iLife. Please take pictures and movies of your family and make calendars and do all this stuff and keep all your data on your Mac. Um, and when you buy a new Mac, you can transfer all this data over and your, your library of data will just expand and expand and will make you faster versions of iPhoto and iLife to work with this. But when your hard drive died, which inevitably happens, these things last maybe you know three to five years, and you went into the Apple store and said, oh, my Mac's not working because you're not a computer guy, please fix it for me. They said, oh, your hard drive's dead. And then you say, all right, well, what happened to my family photos? And they might ask, well, did you have a backup? And they'll go, what do you mean backup? I did, I did everything you told me to do. You know, I bought what you told me to buy. I did what you told me to do. And now all, you're telling me my family's entire photo album is gone? That's, that's a bad experience. Um, and my connection to this problem, aside from my own personal backup situation, is through family. And I think like most geeks, you end up as like the family's computer guy. I don't know if you have this experience. Oh, a, lot yeah. of geeks, oh, yeah. a lot of geeks abdicate that responsibility and say, please do not ask me about your computer. But no, you in, you inherit it. You have to, especially if you, if you are knowledgeable. You're found. You can't. You know that's something you can hide from a stranger pretty well, but you can't hide that from your own family. Yeah, you have some family responsibility to do it. My my first family responsibility is to try to get my family on Max because I don't want to support them if they're oh, not. Amen. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing. Even if you yourself have you know like an Ubuntu server under the desk and you know you 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 use other systems, just do yourself a favor and get your whole family on Max. It was the smartest thing I did. I thought. Back in the day when I used to build PCs, I thought, well, if I build a PC for my mom and give that to her, then I'll know, I'll know exactly what's going on with it. And it took, I think it took two weeks before she did something I never, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that she did was stupid. It was just, she happened to do that one thing that as a geek, you would never do, but a regular human being would do all the time. I don't remember what it was, but it just, one thing leads to another and these things become unmaintainable. PCs. Well, she went on the internet with Windows and Internet Explorer <laughs> 6 back in Second, 2001. Probably. And that's not something you can say, please, mom, don't go on the internet. <laughs> right. It, it, that's, that's a non-starter. My yeah. horror story is that my sister bought an e-machines. Remember them? Oh, yeah. 
an e-machines computer for like 300 bucks in Walmart, this horrible blue little Smurf thing, and then she got net zero as her ISP over dial-up. And that machine quickly became just a cesspool of, you know, a hive of scum and villainy. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, so I eventually did get on to an iMac. But, but then I have the problem of like, I would, I'm encouraging my family, you know, to spend big money, you know, compared to a $300 e-machines thing, you know, you have to spend over a thousand. Yeah. It's probably going to be like 1500 and actually the Mac I want you to get with the extra Ram and blah, blah, blah is going to be like 1600. And it's like, you know, spending all this money. And I said, but now look what you can do with it. You can make movies of your kids. You can take photos. Look how easy it is. You can do this. You could never do it before on your old PC because you didn't know how to use it. But with these Macs, you know, point them in the right direction and they can figure it out. They click around and they would start to use them. They would say, it's great. I've got my pictures on there. And hey, we just had a baby. Look at these pictures. We put up, up on a web page on, you know, I encourage them to buy .Mac too just because it's so easy to just click a button and have pictures up, you know, from the Apple bundled applications. Right. And that's kind of a good feeling that you see your family being successful with technology and that you can support them easily. But it's a sinking feeling in that you're like, well, the clock's ticking on that hard drive now because they bought one hard drive. It came inside the computer. It's got all their photos on it. And there's no way I can, I can explain to them how to do backups. Like, you know, buy retrospect, put in optical disks and burn them and make sure you do it on a regular schedule. Like, this is nothing I'm I can say. This was, back, this was back in, 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 you know, 2001, 2002. Like, it's a really, really bad feeling that you've just got your entire family doing this and you know you're setting them up for failure. Um, so I wrote about this uh, on, uh, on my blog on ours back in 2005. Uh, and this will be in the show notes. And, and the title of the article was The Case for Raid, uh, which... If it's kind of long-winded, as I tend to be. Um, but if you read through it, you'll see that it's not really about RAID. It's mostly about this problem that I just said, that that uh, once people have put their memories on a computer, they need some way to back it up, and there's no good solution. So my suggestion at the time was that since, this, since I feel like this is Apple's responsibility, they should just put two hard drives in every single Mac and have them mirrored and at least have that be a defense against a single hard drive failure. So when your one hard drive inevitably dies, you take it into the Apple store, they yank out the bad one and either replace it with a new one or, you know, under warranty or make you pay for a new one. But your data is not gone. It's safe on the other hard drive. It doesn't protect you against accidentally deleting files. It doesn't protect you against file system corruption. It doesn't save old versions of, of files. It's not a complete solution. But I just wanted to say, when your one hard drive goes bad, you need some protection. And you know, I said, why can't you just do this yourself? Buy an external hard drive or whatever. You have to put it in the box. It has to be something you don't have to buy extra because after I've made this big sales push and said, you're going to spend $1,600 on a Mac and trust me, it'll be fine. Oh, and by the way, you got to spend $200 for an external hard drive too and have it plugged in and have it turned. It's just an extra complication. And, you know, the RAID setup, can, can you make a RAID out of an internal and external drive and boot from it reliably? And what kind of problems you're going to have with that? I wanted Apple to just make it a solution that's invisible. And take the, you know, take whatever hit it is to their margins to just be able to, and, and I wondered if you were working at Apple, how, how would you sleep at night saying, we're, we're selling people these computers with one hard drive, and most people are putting their memories on them, and then when one hard drive goes bad, they're SOL. I, right, I mean, imagine, imagine if that happened in, I mean, and occasionally something like this might happen, but imagine if something was that prevalent in, say, the automobile industry, you know, if 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 they knew that, you know, yeah, your tires wear down, but if they knew that periodically your tires could just, you're doing nothing wrong, you're, you're, you're maintaining everything, and once in a while your tires just fly off your car while you're driving it. I mean, yeah, that can happen in extreme circumstances, but it doesn't happen every day, but people's drives die every single day. 
and it's, it really gets back to what's replaceable because they do give you a spare tire in most cars or nowadays they give you run flats to save a little bit of money and sure. wait for, for the spare tire. But bottom line, worst thing that happens when you get a flat tire is you have to get towed and you get a new tire. Right. Tires are replaceable. Photos yeah. of your baby are not exactly. replaceable. Exactly. Right? And, and you could say, well, so it's no different than if, uh, you know, if you had the photos in a shoebox and, shoe, and your house flooded or, or the house burned down or something. Uh, that's kind of true and that it's a similar situation, but your hard drive is so much more likely to fail than your house is to burn drive down. Your hard drive is so much more likely to fail than right. for you to get flooded. And the other thing I would say to that is the whole point of digital stuff is it's supposed to be better than the old cruddy physical stuff. So I don't accept that uh, because photos in shoeboxes were vulnerable to natural disasters, that digital photos should be too. Digital can be copied perfectly. That's the advantage of digital. So I, I totally reject any notion that you only need to match the uh, the durability of physical photos, which, by the way, you aren't matching anyway because the mean time between failure for hard drives is like you know three to five years and usually getting worse right. with time. Better. Right. So, um, so the Apple eventually, though, I mean, they did try to address this. Yeah, yeah. So this was 2005 when I wrote about this, and my suggestion was just put two hard drives in there and take the money hit because you should be doing something. So they, they did try to address it to their credit in 2007, two years later, uh, with the time machine feature introduced in Mac OS 10.5 Leopard. Um, Mac OS 10, 10.5 Leopard. And when I wrote about it in my uh, 10.5 review, I think I called it the, the best feature in Leopard and perhaps the best feature ever added to Mac OS 10. And I still stand by that simply because it's not that it's such amazing, wonderful, technologically beautiful feature, but that it filled a really, what I felt was a really, really important need that was completely unaddressed in a satisfying way before. And it did it in a way that it made it as easy as you could possibly make it. Um, now, they didn't include the extra hard drive, but at the very least, they had it. So if you, did, if you did manage to buy an external hard drive and you plugged it in, it would prompt you, do you want to use this hard drive for backups? And you click yes, and you're done. And that's it. And that's pretty much as easy as you could possibly make it. And, the, and then Time Machine had the advantage of also saving old versions of your files, not just you know the current versions, so it protected you against accidental deletion. Uh, but that Time Machine did really help in that it was sort of the, the backup solution that people will actually use. Uh, and previously, Apple had had that backup program. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. It was it was sort of connected. It had an umbrella as an icon, right, John? And I mean, it it was like a. It, it it tied into mobile me in some way. This is back when it was still called dot Mac. Yeah, it, it was. If it was you not Google good. for it, if you Google for Apple backup, you'll see that this program is generally considered to be a sick joke. Yeah, it was not good because, because it did. The one thing you want a backup program to be is reliable, and this backup program could accidentally delete your data, could corrupt backups, didn't work right. It was incredibly hard and complicated to use, and and the bottom line is, since it was backing up to dot Mac. You, you can't back up your iPhoto library there. Have one kid for one year, your iPhoto library will blow through your, your, your .Mac storage instantly. <laughs> right. and never mind if you have a family and have been doing this for years. .Mac, even if that program worked perfectly, which it decidedly did not, that backup program was not a solution. And nobody used it. Very few people have heard of it except for geeks like us who tried to use it and then found out the sad story of how bad it actually works. So I think they kept making it even after Time Machine, but... The backup program is kind of a footnote of history at this point that should be like a cautionary tale how not to do backup. And with Time Machine, <laughs> they got a lot of it right. But the thing I get back to with Time Machine is that I'm still faced with when I tell my family to buy a Mac or upgrade their Mac, make sure you get a hard drive of, you know, 
close to the same size as your internal one, you know, ideally at least as big as your internal one to do your backups on with Time Machine. And it's an external thing you have to buy. And Apple doesn't sell them. Do, do you remember when Apple sold hard drives? Old man, Benjamin? I'm thinking about it, but I, I remember when they sold the external super drives. Should I thumb through my catalog from 1992? You have to go back farther than that. Apple did sell the Apple HDSC uh, series of products that were like kind of platinum plastic boxes that had hard drives inside them. I believe they were SCSI. And they used to sell external hard drives. Okay. They used to also sell printers. You remember yeah. that? Oh, right? yeah. I remember that. They did that a lot longer. Yeah. And, and eventually they got out of all these businesses, I'm assuming, because you know it's a, it's a sucker's business. It's low margin. There's not a lot of room for innovation. They tried to make it high margin, and people just bought third-party printers. So we have the situation today where you go into an Apple store, and they'll sell you a Mac... But if you want a printer, well, here we have the selection of Epson and HP and so on and so forth. Apple right. doesn't make Apple branded print, even though Apple wasn't making them; they were just you know rebranding. And a lot can. of the time, they will give you a rebate. I don't know if they're still doing this, but a few years ago, it was the case that they basically you would get a free printer with a Mac, or yeah. you could get I mean, an, iP- an iPod instead. Right, but not an Apple printer. And no, I, that would that's that's another topic of Chris show how horrible printers are. Um, Apple tries to pick good ones that will work well with your Mac, but. That's not a great experience. Um, but Apple just doesn't want to be in those businesses. And hard drives are a similar thing. If you go there and they will actually try to push a hard drive on you like good little salespeople and say, hey, you're buying a new Mac. We have this great feature called Time Machine. By the way, to use it, you'll need an external hard drive. And we have some here from Western Digital and from you know uh, uh, the company whose name I don't know how to pronounce, but I'm going to call it Lacey since that's how I'm pronouncing it since I was 10 years old. <laughs> but if it's Lassie, I'm sorry. Employees of that company, please send me correction email. Um, but they sell third-party hard drives. Those third-party hard drives are an insane ripoff because the mechanism in them usually costs 80 bucks, and they charge you $200 for the drive. For the plastic case, power supply, you know, firewire chipset, uh, cable, wall wart that will go bad in a year and a half, by the way. Uh, they're, they seem like a big ripoff to me, but Apple still doesn't want to be in that business. Um, so anytime you're, you're in an Apple store and encouraged to buy a third-party product, the free printers, you feel like, oh, I need, I need to print and they're free, so why not? But the hard drives are not free. And it just feels like you're leaving a little bit of the Apple umbrella when you're told to buy a third-party thing. And in reality, those third-party things are not usually up to Apple quality, not up to the build quality, not up to the reliability and sourcing of components, that the warranties are not as good. It's not part of the Apple experience. It's this other thing. So I still feel like that's a, uh, a hole in the... In, in Apple's backup strategy with uh, with Time Machine, and, and the other big thing, of course, is that if your house burns down, it doesn't matter that you had your data on two hard drives; they're both melted. Right. Uh, so, the big hole in that is you really need some sort of network backup well, solution off, or an offsite of some kind. Yeah, and forget about offsite. No, normal people are not going to do offsite where they swap hard drives with their neighbors or their relatives. That's just not going to happen. It's just too complicated. Uh, and network. You could argue that where network connections are not good enough yet to support that. But I would say that if you just left your Mac on all the time, eventually it'll trickle up all your data to whatever magical destination. Uh, and so I, I think the, the next thing I have in my notes here on this is just, this is the point in the program where we talk about our backup regime. So I'll let you go first and say, what do you do to protect your, not, not your business data, because I don't, that's kind of a different thing I don't think is relevant to anyone who's not running their own business, but your personal data, the pictures of your kids, movies, stuff like that. How do you keep that safe? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's definitely a different situation, and you make it's important to make that distinction. A business backup strategy, I think, is very different 
and should be very different maybe than personal one. And I've, I've tried all of these different solutions. I've tried Time Machine, uh, and I think it's great. I think it's not as great for geeks like us as it is for regular human beings who don't necessarily understand backups, who don't want to understand backups, who only occasionally and only in a disaster-type situation would ever need to recover their data from uh, a backup like that. Uh, I know a lot of people who are in, you know, they might be geeks, but they're not like, I mean, I'm a Unix geek at heart, so that's the probably the worst kind. But, you know, designers, I guess they fit into the geek category, but they don't, they, a, lot of the, a lot of designers, they really just want to focus on design, for example. They don't, they they don't, don't understand computers. They, or they don't want to. They understand to. art. Yeah, they, and, and that's, that's probably a, a safe generalization to, to make in a lot of cases. They believe that a computer is just a tool that lets them do their art, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's appropriate for their profession. Yeah, it's exactly. And I know a lot of them who have had these time machine backups, and when they get a new Mac... Instead of doing, you know, what what you and I would probably do, which is maybe even manually bring data over, and that that might be a topic for another show too. How do you migrate machines? But uh, you know, instead of doing something like that, now when you get a new Mac and you turn it on, it'll actually say you can transfer your data not just from another Mac, but from a Time Machine backup. And they've done. I've seen people who have done this, even even putting a new hard drive in a machine where they had a hard drive fail and they had a good time machine backup they put they installed a new driver they let apple do it for them and then when they turn it on it's hey it's this brand new install where are you getting your data from you plug in your time machine backup and it just everything shows up and my understanding is that doing that actually takes a long time like well many hours and that it also that it works i've never done this uh, I've never tried this. I it, it's funny because this thing that that both of us would recommend for all normal human beings to use, time machine, is something that I just have not. I have not had a lot of luck with it in the early days, uh, and that's because I always tried to do weird things with it. Like I always tried to force it to work over uh, network volumes, which it, it's not as good at doing. But if if you're the kind of person who has a computer and you want to back it up and you, you get a hard drive, you plug it in. Guess what? It'll just work. In, in fact, when you plug in a hard drive to your Mac, it will ask you if you want to use it with Time Machine, and you just click yes, and your backup is essentially going to just work at that point. But me, I, I haven't done that. I'm much, I still do it, and this goes back to my days of, of, of running data centers and working in Knox and stuff and being, you know, being the guy that sets up the backup strategy and using, you know, just to, to date myself a little bit here, SunOS 4.1.3, and, you know, running, you know, command line applications, either, you know, making manual uh, tape backups and flipping tape drives and stuff. I mean, that that's where I come from. So for me, I don't, I don't really mind a slightly more manual process. But what I do for almost all of our Macs here that are what I would consider personal Macs, John, would be uh, I use SuperDuper to create full drive image clones uh, of of each individual Mac, which really is only two. We only have two machines that I would consider to be personal machines. I have a I have a 13 inch unibody MacBook, and my wife has the latest 13 inch MacBook Pro. Do you have drives connected directly to these machines? We'll plug USB in. We'll plug in a USB. Mine doesn't have FireWire. It also doesn't have a backlit keyboard, but I'm using it anyway. Uh, it was my wife's. I actually am using my wife's old MacBook as my main machine now because all the other ones are tied up in this this uh, recording stuff. So 
uh, we will plug in a a hard drive USB and run super duper and clone it. And I'll tell you why I'm comfortable doing that, both with my wife's stuff and my stuff. Uh, and we can talk about the business stuff because then it gets much more involved and it drives Lassie drives and Drobo drives and everything else and, and offsite and uh, networked and everything. Uh, but I'll tell you why I'm okay doing that with both me and my wife because I have another little little part of the strategy, which is Dropbox. And I have all of what I would what I would consider there's there's stuff that you identified as being important, which we can call uh, memories. And then there is uh, another aspect which I would call data. Data would be things like files that are not images and not movies, but are important. Like tax uh, all, documents and ta- stuff. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, you know that I never I never like having that stuff computerized anyway. But I mean, it, it could it could just be. You know, documents, things that you've typed, uh, you know, that kind of that kind of stuff. All of that, I, I think Dropbox is perfect for that. And in some cases, if you don't have a lot of images, which we do, uh, but if you don't, I, I suppose you could use Dropbox for that too. But in the case of my wife, like she's not, she's not creating. She trusts. Maybe this isn't so smart, but she trusts me with all of the all the images and all that stuff. Uh, so she doesn't, she, she knows that anything like that that's on her machine, it, it's essentially just, you know, she knows I have, a, I have a copy or I have the original or whatever. So in the case of her machine, she's also not doing a lot of incremental changes on, on her machine. She doesn't care. If she has a file that she updates, she doesn't care about two revisions back. Now, all of my source code for all of the stuff that I do, all the, all the systems, everything, any software, anything like that, I've got all of that up in a in a source code repository somewhere, whether it's GitHub or somewhere else. So anything that I'm creating on a day-to-day basis on that machine is either going to be in a source code repository or going to be copied over to Dropbox. The exception to that is the other category, which is memories. And that's certainly going to be taken care of with the with the super duper clone. Now I actually have a couple of different drives that I'll swap out and do a super duper clone. And I do have a safety deposit box and periodically I will bring a you know take a backup to it but that's extreme and weird and and most people aren't going to do that kind of thing uh so i'm not but i'm not doing a regular time machine kind of backup i just it it just i think there are people who do it but i would want that to be a networked solution and i don't have a time capsule and i the the transfer rates that i saw over wi-fi by connecting a hard drive to my airport extreme base station were so bad uh, and my understanding is you can't take a – maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe they've improved this since last time I tried it years back. But you can't do like a local time machine backup to an external drive and then also use that drive later on on your airport uh, time machine. Can you? You can if you knew the insane contortions that you have to do to to make that happen. I mean, because that it uses spar- sparse bundles on the network drive, so you could take your drive that you backed up to locally, image it as a sparse bundle, put it on there, uh, twiddle with the little files that match with the drive ID. Like if you go to magos10hints.com or whatever that URL redirects to now, there's tons of tips on how to convince Time Machine to back up to this thing that you've arranged and say, no, trust me, Time Machine. This is This is the same place you were backing up before, pick up where you left off. Yeah. Under all sorts of scenarios, and some of them are, you know, my hard drive went bad, I have a new computer, I want to move it from a local to a network. It can be done, but not by mortals, not by, you know, regular people. Now, for business stuff, I've got a Drobo. Everything I keep 
we store everything on the Drobo and then I back up the Drobo. So Drobo for us is it, it, for five by five, Drobo is primary storage. And then I use SuperDuper to clone the Drobo, um, usually nightly. Clone so, it onto, say that again. Clone it onto what? Clone it onto a Lacey Raid uh, thing. It's, it's, You're it's, going with both pronunciations now? Lacey, Lacey, however you want to. I'm just, I figure if I say it two different ways, then. You'll be right half the time. Yeah. Right? So it's, you know, we ba- I back it up to that, and that thing doesn't have nearly the capacity of the Drobo, but I'm not nearly at the capacity of the Drobo yet, and I'll deal with that later. And as far as as far as these other, there's companies out there. Uh, there's Backblaze. There's Crash Plan. There's is Carbonite another one? Yep. And I'll, I'll use another one. I'll, I'll tell you. I I have tried. I tried Backblaze and I tried uh, Crash Plan, and both of them seem pretty good. Uh, there's d- different degrees of how flexible they can be when you're doing the backups. But the problem that I had is if, if you were to look at all of the personal photos and stuff that we have, I mean, like you said, you know, you have your first kid and if you have a DSLR, forget about it. I mean, you're just going to amass so, raw files, take up, you know, raw, raw, raw images, take up so much space that you're, you're going to, you're going to eat up hard drive space. And when you try and back something like that up, over the kind of networks that 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 we have available here, now we're not on the the FiOS like you guys. Uh, it takes it. To, I mean, maybe it would eventually catch up, but it was it it had taken like a week and it still wasn't done. Yeah, and the thing about those photos of your kids is you don't delete the baby photos. No, when they turn too. Like no, it just, I, I, it just I, grows. It only it only goes in one direction, and that yeah. direction is more and more and more. And God forbid you start having more kids, or if you if you get into <laughs> photography as a hobby or anything like that, it's it's kind of weird that you know we started having people our age started having kids around the same time that Apple had started to make it uh, convenient for normal people to keep their memories on their computer. Because it basically means that our entire child rearing years will be on the computer. So we start <laughs> started filling the stuff as soon as it came along, and these kids' entire lives are going to be there. And I guess for all generations going forward, that'll be the case. But uh, what, you know, what I don't have, John, is I don't have a good solution for an offsite backup for personal stuff that is in the memories category, and that's the stuff that I need the best solution for. I mean, look if if something terrible happened to the Drobo. You know, when we talk about business stuff, I mean, I'm doing, I basically am doing three to four hours, five days a week of, of audio recording and two or three hours, well, more than that, a week of video recording. I mean, in, a, in an absolute worst case scenario, the Drobo blows up, the, the, uh, the, the Lacey, the Lassie blows up. I don't have a I don't have a backup of this. And by the way, when I record, sometimes we record right to the to the Drobo. Other times we're recording to the hard drive of the machine and transferring it, depending on the situation. Uh, and and my engineer, who's in another state, also has the original files up to a you know maybe like the last week's worth of files. Uh, who who's doing the editing? You know, I mean, worst case scenario, yeah, I've lost those. But as long as I haven't lost that day's show. The mixed down version to the MP3 is is out on the internet in multiple places. So, what have I lost? Essentially, I've lost the backup anyway. Um, right. But I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm and I, and I mean, look, if if I lost that, if I lost the the online version and the backup online version, which one is on S3 and one is on a server somewhere else, uh, I think there's enough people on the internet who've downloaded these shows that I could like 
say, oh my gosh, we lost everything and, and through crowdsourcing we could have it all back. I wouldn't have the original files, but, you know, so it, again, it's kind of a weird situation with me. What about you? What are you doing? I'm sure you've got, you've, yep, so- you, you probably do have certain people spread across the United States with copies of your data that you trust, <laughs> so, right? So I started out as a as a backup slacker, as a young geek, uh, in that I would, uh, I knew enough to know that I needed backups, and I knew enough to work complicated programs. So for, at various times, I had like educational licensed versions of Retrospect. I don't know if you ever used that program, but it was horrible. Yeah, I uh, have used really, it. really fiendishly complex, and to back up, because hard drives are so expensive, I was backing up to like optical media, so if you've ever done retrospect backups to optical media, it's one of the worst experiences possible. And it's so painful even for a geek that you tend not to do it regularly. Now, um, but let, me, let me interrupt I, you and tell tell people, because I'm sure there's some people in the audience who don't know what retrospect is. Retrospect kind of goes to, toward what you would almost see in a, in a corporate infrastructure of sorts. There is a centralized uh, computer server, if you will, that handles the backups. It is It is instructed to go out to the remote client machines who are on the same network in one way or another and talk to them. They're running the retrospect agent, which is the client software that basically sits and waits and waits for the server to knock on the door and say, time for your backup. And then the client starts going through uh, all of the data on on the machine, keeping track of what's been changed or updated, and sends that data over the network back to that server who makes a copy of it right there, safe and sound, on the server. And this, again, can take five seconds if not much has changed, or it can take five hours if a lot has changed. And this is really useful in the IT-type infrastructure, in the small office infrastructure, and the big office infrastructure in some cases. And it's especially useful if you have uh, people who maybe are like traveling salespeople. They show up on the network. When they show up on the network, their home network, their retrospect client can tell the server, I'm here, and they'll get that backup done right away. So it's, it's, it's great in theory, but it is incredibly con- – you need an IT guy to set it up. Yeah, it's not. I mean, even though they did try to sell personal copies of that software, it's more of a. I mean, when you're in education, I was in college when I started this. You see a lot of this. In fact, I ran retrospect servers for you know little groups in in, in the school. And that's why I was doing it myself. But for personal use, it's it's overkill. Yeah, and and you can cut the network out because you can actually have the client and the server on the same machine, which is what I was usually doing. But the worst part about it, from a personal perspective, is that its backups are old school backups. It writes to proprietary files. Uh, that perhaps could be on tapes. Even it doesn't. It's kind of media agnostic. But the bottom line is, if if your computer goes bad, you need retrospect to get that stuff back. Not a bunch of files sitting on disk somewhere. That's it's, a great point. Encoded, compressed, big binary blob. Encrypted God in some forbid, cases. God, God forbid. Like this is why it was bad with optical. If disk number fifteen of the series has gone bad because optical goes <laughs> oh, bad like crazy. You can't even, you know, I just want every file except for the ones that are on disk 15. Sorry, not particularly easy for you to do. So, so that was where I was in, in the dark ages. And I knew it wasn't a good solution, but I still have tons and tons of CDs worth of that. I don't know why I would never be able to recover from them because I'd have to gin up a machine with retrospect on it that could actually read these things and run the old version of the software. Uh, but, but that was bad. Uh, and it was mostly because hard drives were so expensive. Um, eventually, it became cheap enough where you could say that, uh, you know, it's actually more economical for you to buy a second hard drive 
and back up to another hard drive, which was a crazy notion back in the day because you backed up to tape, you backed up to right. opt, you backed up to something that was cheap. You're going to back up to a whole other hard drive. Why, if you've got that kind of money, why not use that hard drive to store files? Because hey, now you've got double the hard drive space. You know, you went from 10 megabytes to 20 megabytes. I'm going to use that whole 10 megabyte hard drive for $500 just to back up. That's absurd, especially for you know young kiddos like a you know college teenager or whatever. If you have that kind of money to invest in something, it's hard to just use it for backups, which is the most boring thing ever. Um, but I eventually did go to that solution. And I remember when I finally committed to doing that, uh, to having another hard drive with that, I was looking for a program that I could run that was like, all right, so I've got a second hard drive. I'm actually going to dedicate the backups. I need a program. All I want to do is just take my current hard drive and copy it onto the other one. And I don't remember how I ended up finding SuperDuper, but I downloaded it. I'm like, all right, let me try this thing. The name seems stupid. It's got an exclamation point in it, like Yahoo. It's intercapped. It's ridiculous. I launch it. It's a brush metal window. Fine, whatever. It's a brush metal window with like one button. <laughs> and it says, press this button to copy your hard drive to this other hard drive. I pressed the button, walked away, came back a few hours later, and it said, I've made a complete bootable copy of your hard drive. And I said, yeah, right, sure. I rebooted from the secondary copy. It booted right up. It was yeah. like I was at the same hard drive. And I immediately clicked the buy, buy, buy button. And that's the fastest <laughs> software purchase I've ever made in my entire life. I used that program once. And I bought it. And I wish I could have paid more for it. I'm like... It was, the, it was the best, one of the best software buying experiences I've ever had because I envisioned a program in my head that I didn't think exist. I tried a couple things, and lo and behold, I found the program that was in my head. It was beautiful, and I just loved it, and I still you know, love that program. Um, so SuperDuper is great. Uh, for, just, just to kind of clarify what you, what, what you said for people who don't know how this thing works, this is a Mac application specifically. It's not, there's no PC version of it, sorry. And it does exactly what John said. It will, it will go in, it will back up, your, it will clone your entire hard drive. But what's better than that is it's, it's smart enough to know not to do that exact same process every time. The next time you run it, uh, the first time you run it can take hours. The second time you run it typically takes minutes because it's very fast. It looks and says what's changed and just copies what's changed. And, uh, and, and it, it is kind of miraculous how, how this thing works. And it, it, it's, it, actually, it, it's actually technically interesting because... Since I know a lot about the file system APIs and everything, uh, when if you do know a lot about it and you hear how SuperDuper works under the covers, by you know it does things. Even though it's called Smart Copy, where it says only copy the things that have changed, which saves a tremendous amount of time, it does it in one of the dumbest possible ways. It looks at every single file every right. time. It says, "All right, this file is it different? Yes, no. Copy, you know." And and you would think, well, they've got these great APIs now that, that the operating system can tell you. Please tell me all the files that have changed since the, since the last time I backed up. And if it's only three files, it'll instantly tell you those three files and you'll be done. You don't have to, to check every single file on my disk because I have millions of files. I have way too many files. And the number of files, not the amount of data, is what really adds the time of backup. You, yeah. If your hard drive was one big file, it would go really fast to copy the whole thing. But if you, if you split your hard drive into three million files, it will take way, way, way longer. So... You know, you're like, why is SuperDuper statting every single one? It's hard to use Unix speak, but why is SuperDuper looking at every single one of my files on on my disk every time? That's not a smart backup. That seems pretty dumb. Well, the answer is that using FS events, you'll miss files. FS events isn't 100% reliable. And so this is exactly what you want from a backup program. Do the most reliable thing possible. Not the fanciest, not the one with the most hype, not the one that uses the most interesting technology. They experimentally determined, and it can be confirmed trivially if you Google for ways to fool FS events, that there are a series of changes that can be made that FS events just doesn't pick up, and you'll end up with a backup that's not the same as your other one. So they they stick, they're they're what you want from like a, you know, the company that's 
uh, building your house or a financial firm, although that's kind of ridiculous in the current climate, but back in the 80s, a financial firm, like you want solid, dependable, boring, staid, <laughs> ridiculous, unexciting. You want it to be work every single time, and that's what Super Duper does. So it's not as fast as it could possibly be because correctness is more important than speed, and I really appreciate that about uh, Super Duper, and I'm wary of any backup program that claims to, for example, be faster than Super Duper because it uses FS events. Crossed off the list immediately because it's just it's a known issue that's not going to get everything. Now, people are asking in the chat room, they're saying, uh, they're saying, well, can you do a Super Duper clone over the network on a drive that's connected to an airport extreme? And the, the answer is yes. Uh, Super Duper doesn't just clone drives directly. You can also have it cloned to a, a sparse bundle. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah, and then yeah, you, you can, can you can, can you can you can have it cloned to a sparse bundle on a directly attached network drive, or on, not network drive, just directly attached drive. You can do that on each of the machines you want to back up to. Then you plug that into your your airport express or whatever you base station of any kind that you want, and and then just the next time you want to do a clone, you tell it to use that image that's sitting up there on, now on the server, now being served up, and it will work. It will work fine. Yeah, I, I mean, just, harder to just clone back, my, uh, though. Harder to clone back. We're running out of time here. I didn't think I would fill the whole time, but let me just finish my backup regime. So yeah, you enough, got of, my, enough of my history. My actual backup regime is this: what I eventually settled on. We can go is, over an hour, John. Yeah, all right. Well, you know, so your wanna, if you want to, if, if I, I don't want to, I don't want to pull a Merlin man and just keep talking. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so what I eventually settled on is. This is my personal solution. I would not recommend this for everybody. It's definitely a geek solution. Um, but it shows the gap between my solution and what a normal piece person would do is exactly the gap between how backups are today and how they really should be for everyone to be protected. So it would be nice if, if this solution that I have didn't need to be this complicated, but it does. Um, so I always buy Mac Pros. I'm a, I'm a tower guy. I've always bought them. Uh, mostly I buy them because they have the good video cards and I do a little bit of, of uh, Mac PC gaming. So that's my only choice in the Mac world. I've got to buy the big honking tower because it's the only one that has the you know, uh, high-end video card in. Um, but the other thing that I like about the towers is that nowadays, although not so much back in the bad old days of two internal drives, nowadays you can fit four internal drives inside these things. Um, and internal drives are way cheaper than external. Oh, yeah. Pick, and you can pick the mechanism. So you go to storagereview.com, which is a great website, find the hard drive that exactly meets your needs, buy that exact mechanism from whatever cut rate company you can find. You know, uh, you don't have to buy it from some fancy retailer. Get a really good price on it. Slap those suckers in. No cabling, no power supply. Now you've got four hard drives. Um, and what I do with these four hard drives is I decide how much data that I that will hold all of my stuff. Unfortunately, this number keeps going up. Fortunately, hard drive sizes keep going up, but it used to be like 250 gig, then 500 gig. Today, I'm using a terabyte. So I say, I'm going to have a terabyte of data. This will fit all my movies, all my photos, all of, all of my family's data on it. And I buy three of those drives. So I say, one terabyte of my size can be three one terabyte drives. On the first one terabyte drive, I boot from it. I use it. That's where everything is. On the second one terabyte drive, I time machine to it, constantly time machining to it. And time machining to a local drive is... Excellent and always has been excellent. Uh, I think your problem with Time Machine is that you knew a lot about Time Machine. You were kind of in that no man's land between knowing nothing about Time Machine, just doing what Apple tells you, and knowing a ridiculous amount. And if you know a ridiculous <laughs> amount and you've talked to the engineers who designed it, they would have told you from, st- from day one, 
do not try to network backup over time machine. First of all, there were known horrible ne- data corrupting bugs yeah. in backing up to even a time capsule for years. I don't remember how long it was. A ridiculous amount of time. And then they supposedly fixed them all, but it just never worked right. So the, 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 the buzz around that, if you were sort of talking to the people who were working on this product, was don't do that. Direct connect with Firewire or best yet, you know, SATA, shove the drives in your machine. I've had no problems with Time Machine backing up to an internal drive ever through the entire history of Time Machine. So it's solid. And that gives me my, oh, I accidentally deleted a file. Let me go find it type of thing. And it gives me my completely up-to-date thing because Time Machine is always running. So you're, it... you're using Time Machine in addition to SuperDuper. Right. And then my third drive, I'm SuperDupering to. My third drive <laughs> on a, you know sort of a, a, a semi-regular basis, I SuperDuper to it. I, I don't do it on a regular, regular schedule because sometimes I want to delay. If I, like if I do a significant change to my system, Sometimes, uh, like say I, inst- I updated Office, for example, you get the new version of Office. I didn't do my super duper backup that week just because I wanted to have the option of going back to, and the easiest way to go back is not to Time Machine Restore. The easiest way to go back is to, re- to boot from the super duper drive and clone back. So I kept the super duper drive on the older version of Office for a little while. Like, I like the flexibility of, to decide when I made a significant change to have my backups in different states. So that's three drives, two different backup mechanisms. And my final thing is, what if my house burns down? Mm. And I can't rush into the computer room and yank out the drives, which I have thought about for uh, 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 much more than I should have. But I don't know if other geeks have this type of scenario where, like, if the house is burning down, do I think I can get into my case and yank out the hard drives before? Yeah, before, you can, and the you know? tower is too heavy. Plus, you got all the wires. You can't get yeah, that you, out but of there. The drives slide right out, so you feel like you could flip that switch, yank the drives anyway. Oh, wait a minute! You don't lock the. You don't lock. You don't keep your case locked. You don't have a no, padlock on there. Anyone gets in my anybody anybody could come in and pull one of those drives then. Yes, there's not, they want photos on my kids, they can have them. But so anyway, I need an offsite solution. Uh, and my current, and I, and I like you tried the network backup solutions. Um, the backup solution, network backup solutions became viable when I got Fios. I highly recommend to anybody who can get it. But I don't know what I would do if I didn't have Fios, but the fact is that I do. Um, the one I settled on was Backblaze, which has some limitations about, oh, I'm not going to back up your system files or whatever, but right. it's very to defeat that by just editing their little plist and telling them, no, you back up everything. It will dutifully back up everything once you edit the plist and tell it to do that. I hope they never take away that feature, by the way. I hope no one from Backblaze is listening. Don't break my hack. Um, and my Backblaze backup took a long time, but I have... How you know, long? How long? And this is over Fios and what up? What ups? Up? Yeah, this was the slow Fios. This was 20 megabits up I had at that time. Poor guy limited and, at 20 like that? Yeah, 20 up, it's tough. I had symmetrical 20 up, 20 down. Now I have 25 down, 15. But those numbers are meaningless because the actual speeds they give you are much higher than that. I supposedly have 25 down, but I can get 35 down. Okay, so what did it, what did it actually take time-wise yeah, and how much were you backing up data-wise? I think it was like a week for my initial 400 gigs because at that time I was on a 500 gig drive. And now I, I think I have up there maybe six or 700 gigs. But once you do the initial backup, uh, Backblaze, uh, I like it because, first of all, it's super cheap. It's like five bucks a month or something, even cheaper if you pay for a year at once. And it doesn't, I don't notice when it's running. Um, I, I schedule it to just run at night because I leave my computer on at night for it to run. But I, I really don't notice when it's running. It doesn't impact my CPU performance. I don't see the thing grinding. Time Machine is actually more of a hindrance. Like I see when Time Machine is going and it's grinding my drive, occasionally I interrupt it because it's, it's bothering me. Um, Backblaze never bothers me. Whatever mechanism is using to figure out what files are changed, probably not as reliable as SuperDuper because it's much, much faster. But really, and also, Backblaze is not going to give me a bootable copy of my stuff. If I want my data back from Backblaze, I'm going to have to pay them hundreds of dollars for them to ship me a, you know, a big terabyte drive or whatever they're going to do. 
But at that point, when my house is burned down, I will pay them. I'll pay them a grand to give me back the photos of my kids. And right. I'm not going to get my iPhoto metadata back. Probably, I just want the JPEGs, the original JPEGs, and the original, you know, that uh, MP4 or move files or whatever I have of movies of my kids. This is the worst case scenario, last resort type of solution that I hope I never have to use. But I do need an offsite, so I use Backblaze. The thing I'm going to add to that is once my brother gets himself settled in the new place he's moving in. We're going to try to do, we'll each buy two terabyte externals and swap them with each other every you know, month or so. Now, why not so just use be, something like a, like a safety deposit box in a bank? Yeah, you could do that too, safety deposit box. It's just like, how often do you go to, do you go to the bank? Like, I don't actually go physically to my bank uh, unless I'm going to an ATM and then it's not at my bank proper. But I, got, I, got I, a Canadian, other, I got a Canadian check I've got to go to the bank to deposit. Like, otherwise, I just use that ATM, the drive through one. Go there with your rolls of pennies to, to change them in. Yeah. Uh, but... But yeah, much more likely to if if it's someone that you see on a regular basis, you just you know bring the drives when you see each other and swap them, um, and that will solve the problem for two different people. But then you have to implicitly trust that person. Yeah, someone in the chat room asked about Crash, crash Plan. plan. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you why why Backblaze versus Crash Plan versus Carbonite? Is it just because you could do that hack? Did you test out and audition the other ones? What what made you? I, I read a lot about them. Um, Initially, CrashPlan was way more expensive than Backblaze. Uh, so, for, especially for something I was trying out, I didn't know if it would it would be feasible. I didn't know how well it would work or anything like that. I went with Backblaze just because it was the cheapest. And every time I reevaluate, like CrashPlan has gotten a lot cheaper. Um, I've basically come back to well, it took me a long time to upload everything to Backblaze, and really, do I have a problem with that? What am I? What problem am I trying to solve? What's wrong with Backblaze? And it just doesn't bother me. It doesn't hurt my computer. It works reliably. I've done test restores to get individual files back, and it seems to work just fine. Uh, the bad thing about Backblaze is it doesn't back up Mac metadata very well. Mm. Most of these services don't do that. Some of them are getting better. Uh, but until one of them can guarantee 100%, like th- there's no super duper in the network backup world. There's no equivalent of that. There's just a series of mostly PC-centric services that work to varying degrees, and it really is the the thing of last resort. So I just I just say, give me my data, give me the file names. I will have to painfully reconstruct my environment from that. I don't really care about my applications that much or anything like that. I just want my data. So that's what I'm using for that. CrashPlan is becoming more competitive, and it gets really good reviews. But I've also heard that the client is more heavyweight than the Backblaze client, and I've just I just haven't had a reason to leave yet. So I would encourage people to just try out the different ones. Mozzie is another one. There's uh what is that other one? There's some indie software developer making one that uses S3. Yeah. I don't is it Jungle S3. Disk? Is that it? There's Jungle Disk, but there's another one. I wish I could remember the name of it. Chat room can help me out, but there's some other one that uses S3 as a back end. Well, um, I, I've, I found that I really liked Backblaze also, and it's, it has a very Mac-friendly client, and I actually have an, a, a, I think we have an affiliate link, so check the show notes if you're thinking about trying Backblaze. I don't know if they gave, they had some offer uh, about a year ago where it was like ten percent off, but I don't know if that coupon code that, that will be there is still good. But I'll I'll email them and see if they want to re up that just for just for you guys on this show. No promises, but I'll I'll, I'll ping them right after this and tell them that we. But they're so cheap. The full price is... Yeah, it's mean, not expensive. It's still not expensive. $5 a, $5 a month for unlimited data. That was the key for me because that's I That's like a, a cup of coffee at a Starbucks, really. Right. And, you know, and it's month by month. So that's why another reason I went for it because, well, one month, five bucks in one month, surely I'll be able to see if I can... up. You know, you'll get a good experience of it. I'll be able to do my initial upload and see what it's like on a day-to-day basis. There's no risk. And I just left it a month by month, much longer than I should have. And eventually I said, you know what? I'm obviously sticking with Backblaze. Let me just buy the yearly. Um, 
I really wish they would do better with the Mac metadata. I, I wish they would become more Mac savvy, and I wish their backup options were not as dracon. Their restore options were not as draconian as they are. But for me, it basically fits my needs, and so far I haven't had any reason to uh, go away from it. So what else? What else are you doing up there? So that's well, that's what from my backup regime. It's you know three three hard drives. Anytime you want one hard drive, you have to get three of them. That. The reason this is all on one computer, this gets back to a whole other show, which is that my computer has to be the iPhoto computer, right? So when yeah. you take pictures, oh, we've got it. That's got to be our next show. We've got to talk about, and maybe there's a bigger overall topic there, John. But the the topic of how do you deal with that when you have a central repository for music or pictures or whatever? Like, how do you mitigate that problem when your wife says, "Oh, where's that picture of of uh, of the kid when they were two years old and had that green hat on. Uh, I, I want that picture. And yeah, wh- you know, where's all the music? Like, how do I get music on my computer, Dan? And my wife has her computer over there too. And all I do for her computer is time machine to a FireWire connected drive. It's a laptop, so we plug in the FireWire drive occasionally. And so she has no offsite backup. But realistically, she really has no data. The only thing she does on right. her computer are the taxes, and I sync those over to my machine where they enter the backup vortex and you <laughs> what know, about, what about kids over. i mean do, are your kids old enough to use computers they have they have a first gen ipod touch as their device that the two of them share at this point we don't have any ipads yet we will get them this year um, i'm sure they'll try to commandeer those but so far they mostly just use the touch they don't use our computers that much occasionally they'll look at movies on them or whatever but they don't use use them but what yeah, are there? Can you share ages of kids? Uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a three year old daughter and a six year old son. Okay, so at six though, you would think he's starting to get to the point where he's going to want something of his own. So far, he hasn't asked for a computer. He sure as heck wants an iPod, iPad. He was in, <laughs> yeah. and he, he definitely wants even on the iPods. He's not excited to use the first gen touch. He wants the you know fourth gen touch with the camera. <laughs> That, that my wife has. So he's already become a connoisseur of that. It's interesting that they're much more interested in, in the iOS devices than the Macs. But so far, he hasn't asked for our Mac. And of course, he likes the, the Wii and the games and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, so, so far, not big on the computer. And, and I certainly haven't been encouraging it because we don't have a computer for him to use. But yeah. once my wife upgrades her laptop, maybe there'll be something. Um, but yeah, so the, the, the solution to the family data is daddy's computer has all the data and mommy's satellite computer is just mostly for throwaway stuff and anything important that does appear on it has to get sucked into to my computer. Right. The, the final point I want to make on this backup thing is that I, I was taking Apple to task for not solving the problem completely uh, back in 2005. Time Machine was a big help, but there's still this, this gap. There's still the my house burns down gap on there and the fact that you have to buy a third-party hard drive. Uh, and for, for the off-site backup, it's unfortunate but true, and this is another show topic I think I'll probably add to the list, is that network services are Apple's kryptonite. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are many things that Apple doesn't do well, but they tend not to do them. Network services is something that, that Apple seems to want to do. They keep trying to do it, and they're so bad at it. It's like the one or two things that Apple wants to do, keeps trying to do, and keeps failing. And that's, that's a whole other topic of why, why is that Apple's kryptonite? What is their problem? What's the hang-up? Um, so it's a shame that they don't have a, an offering in that area. Because certainly mobile me and Mac are not adequate in any possible way for that. So what do you what do you then suggest? Let's let's say there's somebody out there who's listening to us right now and they've just got their one computer, whether it's a laptop or a or a, you know, or a Mac Pro. I mean, what's what do you recommend that they do? My my recommendation before I hear yours, my recommendation is is gonna be if if you're the kind of person who likes the idea that if something terrible happens to your computer 
you don't need incremental backups, but you want to get back up and running as quickly as possible, use SuperDuper, clone your drive every night. And then if something terrible happens to your computer, you plug that drive in, you reboot from it, and you're exactly where you were. And you know what? If something terrible happened to the Mac itself, you can take that hard drive to another Mac and you can reboot right off that drive. And it's your Mac on that Mac, which is kind of magical uh, and very cool. And that's that's my recommended solution for regular for regular people and geeks. For for people who really just don't want to think about anything, I, I would probably recommend Time Machine on on an on a USB drive that you just plug in and, and back up. But what do you recommend for regular people? So my recommendation for non geeks, uh, uh, and this is what I make my family do to the extent that I can, is I buy an external Firewire hard drive and do Time Machine to it. And the reason I picked Time Machine instead of Super Duper is that I found that regular people really do appreciate the ability to get back a file they accidentally deleted because that does happen a lot. Yeah. And I think trying to get them to buy another piece of third-party software and use it, even though Super Duper is super easy to use, it's nowhere close as easy as Time Machine, um, especially in terms of like without me, without my support. Can they, you know, if their internal hard drive goes bad, you know, like the, the Apple ecosystem is set up to look for that time machine drive, as you noted. Good if, you, if, you put in, if you put in another drive, it will, it will offer, like, there's so much more that they can successfully do without any help from someone who, who's a geek. Despite time machine's limitations, most of which I'm avoiding by saying, get a FireWire drive, plug it into your computer, leave it on all the time. Most of my relatives have, uh, like, iMacs. Uh, the people with laptops, they just periodically go and plug in your laptop. They don't need to know, you know... The only the only kink in this armor is, and this is a sad document that I should put up on the web someday, trying to explain to people how to mount an unmounted drive. The concept of drive mounting, you have your laptop, go over to this desk, plug in this FireWire right. cable. That's all you need to do to do the backup. When you're done doing the backup, please don't just yank out the cable. You have to unmount the drive. Hmm. And try explaining that in words on, a, on one sheet of paper, because I want to make a one sheet that you can tack to the wall that explains the steps. It is really surprisingly hard. It's like trying to, you know, describe an elephant to to a blind man. It's just really, really difficult. Um, that is the the weak spot in the armor, and the weak spot is that they don't want to go through that procedure, or they feel uncomfortable with it, so they avoid plugging in their laptop for too long. I wish there was a backup solution that SuperDuper would have the same problem. I wish there was some sort of network thing, but again, uh, you know, people who aren't geeks do not have good network connections they have the cheapest dsl they can get their wi-fi stinks the it's just it's a sad situation so network backups are or even in-house uh, wireless backups are not always an option for them so I, mm-hmm. I say direct connect drive and again they're not buying towers so it can't be sad it's got to be firewire usb and I'm, I'm still sticking to the firewire train just because i've had fewer problems with it you don't think now just an aside you don't think firewire is going to be gone from the next couple generations of Macs? You think I don't know. That, that's, part of, that's part of the restore thing. Like when you do the restore, the reason it's fast with Time Machine with a FireWire drive or with another Mac where you do migration assistance is because it puts the, disk, it puts the Mac into FireWire target disk mode so it becomes the world's most expensive hard drive enclosure. You've got a $2,000 machine that's not really on. It's just acting as an enclosure for the one hard drive that's in it and you get great transfer rates. Um, doing it over AFP or any sort of network stuff and do, or doing it over Wi-Fi, worst case scenario, is way, way slower and almost becomes unfeasible. You remember people trying to do time machine restores or migration assistance on the original MacBook Air? It just would simply never complete, ever. Uh, you know, it would freeze in the middle. You let it run for three days. It just, it's a bad scene. So your, your thoughts on, are, are the same for time capsule? You don't recommend people? I do not recommend the time capsule. I also don't recommend Drobo, by the way. You know, that, that's 
I mean, obviously, if you're professional, you know what you're doing and you know what you're getting into. But and the fact that you're backing up the Drobo makes me realize that you definitely get it because Drobo. Well, yeah, is- I mean, I think I think people think of Drobo as as invincible, but it still has moving parts in it. I mean, it's yeah, still and, and it's a hardware device that that you know they made the hardware that makes that work. Yeah, uh, inside there, right? It's not it's not a commodity thing, and I don't trust them not to have bugs in their firmware and not corrupt every single one of those discs. Discs. It's. It's something that happens. So, you know, RAID is not a backup and Drobo is not a backup. Right. So that's that's well, something that, that a lot of people will say. And that, and, and that is that just because you have RAID, whether it's Drobo's RAID or a NAS or whatever, it's, it's still not if – if that's the primary place where you're storing your data, it's not a backup. It's yeah. not invincible. It, it has points of failure too. The reason that we use a Drobo uh, is – and I love the Drobo. We have a Drobo Pro here. And the reason I love it is when you're doing the kind of stuff that we're doing where we're creating, like I said, four plus hours a day of, you know, this this podcast uncompressed before we mix it down and everything, you know, for, for an hour plus of, of recording, it's going to be a gig and a half in size. And, you know, when we mix it down, it'll be a 20, 30 meg, you know, MP3, but we keep all those original files and that eats up data fast. So, you know, the Drobo lets you expand that. And that's why we do it. But no, I mean it. It has a. It is. It. It has failure points too. So I have to. Of course, I have to back it up. Yeah, and the, the Drobo. The main advantage of Drobo, I feel like, is uh, it's a box that I always wish people would make. And once they made it, I realized that I still need backups. But it, it lets for individual people on a budget. It lets you get the most bang out of your buck because as hard drive prices go down, you can take out the smallest drive in your Drobo and your Drobo and replace it with whatever the sweet spot of size and price is in the current range. So, you know, 500 gig drives are 80 bucks. So you fill a thing with 500 gig drives, right? Then terabyte drives are 80 bucks. So you swap one 500 gig drive for one terabyte drive. Then 1.5 terabyte drives are 80 bucks. So you swap another 500 for 1.5 terabyte drive. You can do this while the thing is on without losing your data. Right. And you just slowly crawl up the ladder of price performance and hard drive purchases. And for an individual person, not a business, because businesses tend to have more money and just pack the thing with the biggest drives they can get. For an individual... This lets you have the most storage with the least hassle for the least amount of money, but you still need a backup. Yep, you still need a backup. It's a good, good, probably good note to end on. Do we want to? Do we want to announce what next week's show is going to be on? Do we know? No, but I'll probably add things to the topic list, and then okay. you'll have to pick sometime on on Wednesday or something, and we'll see what we do. So people, people will just have to be surprised. But uh, if if you want to be part of the show, we love the the chat room uh, people. They, great advice in there happens while we're while we're talking uh we're doing these shows at noon uh eastern time on fridays and we'll be back next week uh eastern time on friday with with john syracuse and what people need to know how to how to find us so you can follow john on twitter he actually does twitter once in a while at every uh, day at syracuse and i'm told there's no z in syracuse there's no z sound it's s-i-r-a-c-u-s-a u-s-a just remember that and I'm Dan Benjamin on Twitter, and uh, that does it for this week. So thanks for tuning in. Thanks again for rating the show on iTunes. Anything else, John, we're forgetting? I think that's it. All right. Have a good one.